old saying is, if you want something done right. The following ad was reported in the uh, single section of the Atlanta Journal. Here's what it said. Single black female seeks male companionship. Ethnicity unimportant. I'm a very good girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your truck, hunting, camping, and fishing trips, cozy nights, lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hands. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work, wearing only what nature gave me. Call, gives the number, ask for Daisy, I'll be waiting. Over 15,000 men found themselves talking to the Atlanta Humane Society about an eight-week-old black Labrador retriever. I think that fits under the heading of Things Aren't Always As They Appear. So that's the title of the message this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, as we continue the series, DNA of a Disciple, for a message titled, Things Are Not Always As They Appear. Uh, one of the great needs of the church and our culture uh, is to the ability to wisely uh, discern truth. Uh, so many times we have the ability or inability uh, to separate truth, what Scripture really says, as opposed to what are just traditions uh, that we have become uh, ingrained in, uh, oftentimes in our age and our church culture of relevance at all costs, we often lose the discernment and don't even know what the truth of God's Word is sometimes, and we don't even ask, what does the text say? We just ask, does this work uh, sometimes in our church culture? And so that is a dominating our culture. But here's the reality. That should not take us by surprise, that we live in a culture that becomes increasingly less interested in truth, uh, increasingly less tolerant of objective truth, or someone proclaiming objective truth. And while that's discouraging at times, it shouldn't actually surprise us because Scripture says that as we move closer to the return of Christ in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You know what people's own passions are? Themselves. Like we're, we're incredibly interested in ourselves. And so it says in the last days, and we're living in the last days, Ever since the ascension of Christ until his return, that period is known as the last days. And so as we're living that time, people will accumulate and store up teachers for themselves uh, who tell them exactly what they want to hear. And so that's one end of the battle uh, that we're wrestling with. The other end of the spectrum, uh, even though that is true, and even though that, we know that's going to happen, even though we see it played out in our culture, that doesn't uh, negate the command uh, the Scripture says in Jude 1.3, that we're to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And every call on every pastor's life, I don't care where he's pastoring, uh, what side of the church is, the call of God on every pastor's life is given in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And so even though doctrinal teaching, and, and that is not incredibly popular in the church, it's, in our church a culture, sometimes it's relevant at all costs, uh, it is the clear command of God for everyone who gets up and ministers the Word of God. So we've got to have the ability to to discern uh, in this context that we live in. So with that goal in mind, let me invite you to look with you this morning at First John chapter 4. Uh, we're just going to look at a little section this morning in verses 1 through 6 and discover that things are not always as they appear. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come is in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of Air and so the call here. Just, uh, let me refresh the context here. The call here in First John. The context uh, was that these were second, third generation Christians. Uh, they become complacent in their faith. It was no longer as exciting as what their parents and grandparents had experienced. This new thing of Christianity. And in the context of complacency, sometimes in our own spiritual lives, uh, we get complacent. So we no longer are searching for truth anymore. We're just searching for something exciting. It just does it work? Does it produce the intended results? And that's exactly what's happening to them. And so false teachers had crept into the church. Apparently, we'll find out in a little bit, they were gaining a pretty decent following. And so he's writing saying, hey, listen, listen, these guys were false teachers, and you need to be a little more discerning. You, you need to grow in wisdom and show some discernment. So he's going to walk us through uh, some principles about how to grow in discernment. Listen, I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, the call and need of every single person in this room, me included, is to grow in discernment. You don't have to learn everything from the pain of, of consequences of poor and unwise choices. You don't have to go through all 12 years of the school of hard knocks, right? But there are some things you can grow in discernment on the front end, so that's exactly what he's going to walk us through and walk us through uh, this morning. So, if the call of God is to grow in discernment, what actually happens and how does that look like Oh, that's what he's going to walk us through. So, the first principle in the text here is simply this. If you're going to grow in spiritual discernment, which we all need, it's simply this. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. Now, I, I recognize that we are in a culture, the pendulum has shifted, where even in our churches, people just want relevance at all costs. Just make it practical. Just give me relevant. Give me ten steps to a happy life. And don't bog me down with the doctrine, theology, and all those kinds of things. But let me just tell you, why it's so important to be, be discerning about what actually is truth. Because here's the reality. I don't care how practical it is. I don't care how much it works for you and produces the desired results. If what you're living out of is not true, it may work for a season, but at some point in time, it will fail you because only truth stands in every single context and culture. So if what you're believing and living out may be helpful for a season, if it's not true, it will let you down at some point in time. And so this is an incredibly relevant and important uh, issue because application, not just information, is what leads to transformation. So that's why it's important to discern truth from here because if it's not true, it will let you down. So the first thing he says in discerning truth is don't believe everything that you hear. Look at verse 1, what's he saying? He says, love, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits in, in contrast there. Now, what we would call the opposite of a person, uh, someone is discerning, we would call the opposite of that uh, is someone who is gullible, right? Uh, and we all have had a little fun. Let's just be honest. I know we're in church, and I know we're not supposed to be carnal, but let's just be honest. All of us in the room at times in our lives have had a little too much fun with someone who's gullible. Have we not done that? We find out they're gullible, we play on that for a little bit, and it's funny, and we laugh, and we should, Amen. But we live with a gullible person in our house. She's about this tall. I'm not talking about Tasha. It's our three-year-old, all right? Our three-year-old, listen, she, she believes 
everything she hears. And my older two, they're carnal and wicked. And so they have discovered that. And so they spend half their time telling her things that aren't true, but she just believes everything. So she comes running upstairs. She's crying, screaming, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she names one of the kids. They're going to flush me down the toilet. I don't want to go down the toilet. All the time at our house. They're going to bite my leg off. I don't want to bite my leg off. She's gullible. She believes everything she hears. And if you and I are going to grow in discernment, listen, here's what he says. First off, he said, don't believe everything you hear. Now, here, here's the problem. We recognize it sometimes, you know, that's not true, that's not true. Let me just say where we get crossed up sometimes in our lives, in our goal for spiritual discernment. Here, here's what we, we fall prey to sometimes. As long as it has the label Christian stuck to it, it must be okay. As long as someone is teaching and they mention Jesus, they, they must be teaching the truth of God's Word. He's saying, listen, don't believe everything uh, that you hear. And so, Scripture uh, speaks to this on often on several occasions, uh, but the reality is simply this. Not every teacher is rightly dividing the Word of Truth just because they mention Jesus the same uh, quite a bit. Not every book in the Christian bookstore is a fount of wisdom. Not every Christian counselor is counseling from the authority and sufficiency of God's Word. And so don't believe everything you hear, even if the label Christian is attached to it. He said, grow into sermon. Just don't believe everything you hear because the label it's got in on it. So John is writing to uh, tell them, listen, there's false teachers. And they were coming, they were, listen, they were just coming to church, they were saying some things that made sense, they were using Christian lingo, but then they would take just enough truth to gain an audience, and then they would distort the truth and then deceive those folks who were gaining in their followers. So, so not everything that has the label of Christian is wise for us to pursue. Here's the reality of other secret as well. Do you realize this, that, that false teachers, we think, oh, false teachers in the church, listen, false teachers are always creeping into the life of the church. And the reality is, is that the overwhelming majority of the time, they're not standing dressed in a red suit and holding a pitchfork. All right, here's what the Scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15 says this. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Now listen to this. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. That's what that means. I mean, some people in church leadership, listen, they're, they're on the other team. And they're not out there saying, hey, I'm on the other team. Do you want to part Listen, they're masquerading as, as, as servants of the light. Exactly what Satan does. And so don't just believe everything because somebody's a pastor. Don't just believe everything because somebody's a teacher. Don't just believe everything because it's got the word Christian attached to it. Don't just believe every book because it's in the Christian bookstore. He says, no, don't believe everything here. Be wise and discerning. Now, we should be surprised by this. I know it's startling. Like, like, there are times you just get paralyzed, like, is this a good resource, is this a good teacher, is this a faithful word, those kind of things. But the reality is this, we shouldn't be surprised by this, because people are deceived in, in disdain sound doctrine all the way from the Garden of Eden. The first temptation was based on the effort to corrupt God's Word, to deny sound doctrine, to deny, thus saith the Lord. Let me walk you through the progression. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, you start off with doubt. Now, the serpent was more crafted than any other beast in the field that the Lord God has made. And so he said to the woman, did God actually say? And then it moves on to distortion. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in this garden. Now, listen to this. Neither shall you touch it. Why is that distortion? Because at no point in time do we read, record in Scripture that God said not to touch any other tree. And so it started off with doubt. 
did, did God really say, verse 1 in chapter 3, then it's kind of distorted where it's like partly true, but then there's some distortion, verses 2 and 3, and then that distortion grows into full-blown denial, verse 4, uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Total denial, and then what happens is that just total buy-in is deceit. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they've been deceived. Uh, they turned their back. And so he, but here's the reality. Satan is still doing that very same thing that he did in the Garden of Eden. He's still calling people to doubt the Word of God, still just distorting the truth, just up where it sounds right, but we're not discerning enough to know the difference. And there's deceit and all the consequences. That's why Scripture calls him the great deceiver. That's why Scripture refers to Satan as the father of lies. But he's not openly doing it. He's deceiving people with just enough truth to get them to buy in, and then it's distorted, and then there's denial and there's deceit and all the destruction that happens as well. And so that's why John's instructions to listen, you've got to grow in the story. Don't believe everything you hear just because someone mentions the name of Jesus or the name Christian or tag is slapped on to something. That's exactly how people get spiritually deceived. Let me just add this quickly as well as it relates to the discernment, deceiving, and all those things. Uh, we don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Well, what's interesting to me is in our, in our Baptist uh, churches and circles, uh, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We're afraid that may associate us with that other group, right, the Charismatics, and so we just, we don't talk. I remember talking to a guy one time, he said, oh, pastor, he said, I'm really interested in learning more about the Holy Spirit. He said, but i got to just be honest with you, he said, that Holy Ghost scares me to death. i got some bad news. They're one and the same. And so, so we just, we don't even know, like, we're like well, what told, but let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit as it relates to discernment. We'll get to a little more later about this work of the Spirit in discernment. Here's what we do know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. And what I mean by that is this. He will never lead you contrary to the revealed Word of God. And I can't tell you how many times people said, well, I just feel like I'm led to do this. So that, what that means, the Spirit's prompting me. I just feel like God's directing this. And I know, the, I know what the Bible says, but I've got so much... He's about this. Listen, the Spirit of God will never lead you in a way that is contrary to the Word of God because He's not schizophrenic. He only leads people into truth, and the handle we have on truth is in the Word of God. By the way, when people do that, when people say this, that God, God's leading me, or God told me, if I had a nickel for like every time I've heard the right, you understand that when someone does that, what they're really doing is taking God's name in vain. You see, we think taking God's name in vain is like what we, you know, when you hit your finger with a hammer, uh, if you owned one, I don't. But if you did, like you hit your finger with a hammer and you yelled out, right? But that's a bad idea too, just as a side note. But think about the context of that command about not taking God's name in vain. Does that make sense? So listen, what were they doing? They say, listen, we can do whatever we want because we're the nation of Israel. We've got God as our Father, and so we're going to use His name and the sovereignty and power attached to His name to exploit whatever thing we want to do because we're His. We're the only people around that can say we are His chosen people. It's exploiting the name and the authority and sovereignty of God for your own selfish motive. That's what taking God's name in vain actually means. And any time that we say, God led me or God told me and He did not, you are taking God's name in vain. Anytime you say the Spirit is leading me, it's contrary to the Word. You're taking God's name in vain. 
And so he says, don't believe everything you hear just because someone uh, mentions Jesus, just because the word Christian is the tag on there. He says, be discerning about those things. And so he says, first off in verse 1, he says, don't believe everything you hear, even if it's got the word Christian attached to it. But not only does he tell us what not to do, he tells us what to do. Look at verse 1 again. What's he say? He says, love, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. But, here's something you should do. Test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Because we, that's, that's Christianese, right? Like, no one's going to work tomorrow. We don't say that word in church. What you do all weekend? Just test the spirits all weekend. I bet you were, right? So what does that mean to test the spirits here? What exactly uh, is he describing here? Now, now here, here's what's interesting. Because we have in our minds that when someone's from the enemy, they're harsh and angry and all this kind of... Listen, here, here's what's interesting. You know the end of chapter 2? Beginning of First John chapter 2, he talks about one of the evidence of genuine salvation. In the beginning of chapter 2 is obedience. And at the end of chapter 2, he talks about love. You realize all of chapter 3 is about love? At the end of uh, chapter 4, verse 7, down to the end, verse 20-something there at the end, uh, it's all about love. So, so, so here's what's interesting. On this enormous discourse on love, all of it starts in chapter 2 and doesn't end at the end of chapter 4. All that's about love. Right in the middle of all of that is tucked in six little verses about don't believe everything you hear. Be discerning. Test the Spirit. Why is that? Ray Stedman said it best in his commentary. Here's what he said. He said it's significant that this warning comes in the midst of John's discourse about love because false spirits tend to make a great deal about the subject of love. Every cult, every deviant group, every false movement that gains momentum makes its appeal in the name of love. Why is that? Because we're so desperate love, we crave it so much, that when someone seems to be loving and promoting love, and they see all those things, we just fall trapped. We never ask, is it true? We just ask, well, it seems so loving. How could it be wrong? He says, test the spirits. And so exactly, uh, how do we test the spirits? Well, I'll teach you in just a minute. Let me just share this with you as well. Uh, do you realize this? There's a phrase in our church culture sometimes that says, Doctrine divides, love unites. Doctrine divides, love unites. I've heard that on several occasions. Let me just share this with you. It's better to be divided in truth than united in error. It's better to be divided in truth than united in error. And so we test the spirits, not to see if they're loving, but do they line up against the truth of God's Word? So the question becomes, how do we test the spirits? Like, what does that look like? Well, well here's what he says. The second principle growing discernment uh, is test the spirits. And here's what that looks like. You see what they teach about Christ. You see what they teach about Christ. Uh, several months ago, I had a conversation with a person who is absolutely is a believer. Uh, they, they grew up, their, their father is and was a pastor. Uh, they're working in a Christian organization. They're leading a small group in their church. Uh, and I asked them, they, they, had, uh, they were moved across the country, and they were going to a church that was totally, I mean totally, theologically different than the church they were raised in. And so we were just having a conversation about that. I said, oh, is that a struggle for you? Do you have to wait through all that stuff? A lot of questions to answer. And just how did, how did that all work out? And, and here's what they said. They said, well, you know, I, I really didn't. They said, I just, uh, my new church, they talk about Jesus a lot, so I figured it can't be all that bad. So do the Mormons. 
Let me make this clarification. When we talk about false teachers and teaching, now, now here, here's what I know from experience. In our Baptist churches, when we talk about false teachers, there's a tendency for us to go, uh-huh, Methodists. Well, I mean, do we not do that? <laughs> like, they go to a false church, where are they? go over to their first, the Episcopal church, they're false teachers. Right? Like, that's what we think of sometimes. We're just being honest. When he's talking about first uh, false teachers here in First John, the original context, uh, the original sense of the word, it's someone whose teaching leads people to hell. It's someone not presenting the truth of the gospel. Listen, he's not talking about different denominations. So, so listen, don't don't drive home today with your windows down. If you see your Presbyterian neighbor out in the yard, just call out to him, hey, listen, the hellhound's on your trail. Ah! Right? I mean, that's where, that's where we are. There is a difference, hear me this morning, there is a difference between a person who is truly a false teacher presenting a false gospel and someone who doesn't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, alright? And so he's talking about a true false teacher here. And so, so how do you know a false teacher? Well, verse 2, what's verse 2 says? By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come is in the flesh is of God. What's the test for a false teacher? Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And so the question in discerning a true, literal sense of the word, original context, false teacher, is are what they proclaiming truth about Jesus? Are they preaching the truth about Jesus and the real gospel? Let me, let me illustrate. The Mormons mention Christ. They say, though, that Jesus was the son of Adam, Mary, and God. They say that Jesus... Uh, was a polygamist who is secretly married to several of the Marys uh, mentioned in the New Testament. They teach that his atonement, the work on the cross, was not sufficient for our own personal sins. So the Mormons mention a Christ, but not the Christ, as revealed in the Scriptures. Jehovah's Witnesses talk about Jesus a lot. What they say, though, is he was merely a son of God, not the son of God. Uh, before he came to the world, he was a created angel. When he entered this life, he became a perfect being, but not God in the flesh. Uh, the ransom he offers does not guarantee eternal life to any man. That's why they're knocking on so many doors to try and earn their way to heaven. He did not rise from the dead. According to their publication, The Watchtower, we do not know what happened to the body of Jesus in Joseph's tomb. Now listen, they're preaching about a Christ. They're not preaching about the Christ. Because Scripture says that of my Jesus, he was died on the cross, he was buried, he rose the third day, the tomb is empty, and even today, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating on my behalf when the enemy comes to accuse me. That's my Jesus. That's exactly what he's doing. We don't have to wonder what he's doing or where he's at. Scripture is so clear. That's a good place for an amen. You missed it, so try it. So on the spectrum of discernment, I'm going to get stirred up in a minute. On the spectrum of discernment, there are true, literal, false teachers who are not preaching the true gospel, but then a little farther from that extreme would be someone who is preaching the truth about Jesus, uh, they're preaching a true gospel, but then they're attaching false standards of living to that after a person receives the true gospel. And quite honestly, that's where we need the most discernment. Listen, I hope by now that we get up and someone says, hey, Jesus doesn't save, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. We're discerning enough about that, I hope. But it's the person who proclaims those things, but then after that, they don't rightly divide the word of truth. And so what, how do you handle a person like that? What, what is our responsibility under the banner of discernment for a person doing one of those two things? Well, I'll tell you what you do not do. 
uh, the third thing we see in the text is this. Don't be intimidated by them. Don't be intimidated by them. That's exactly what you do. You stand up and you proclaim lovingly, uh, proclaim truth. Don't be intimidated by a person who's not teaching the truth. Why? Well, who walks it through? Look at verse 4. What's he say again? You are of God's little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, we love that verse. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. However, we don't know the context that's written in. The context that it's written in here is our ability for the Spirit of God to make the Word of God come alive or illuminate the truth of God's Word to discern truth from error. Like we hear that sometimes with these about like God's Gestapo, right? Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world must charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. When he uses that in the context of this passage, what he's saying is, hey, listen, so don't worry. So don't, don't, you know, don't get nervous when someone's preaching something because, listen, the Spirit of God inside of you will help you discern truth. Now, let me make this as practical as possible. Let's see how this works. How many times have you heard, don't raise your hand, how many times have you heard a pastor, me or somebody else or somebody, or a small group leader or somebody, get up and say, hey, listen, you've got to be in the Word. You just, you've got to not just read your Bible, you've got to study your Bible. You should be memorizing Scripture, you should be meditating on Scripture. But we don't do that just because we need filler, alright? Let me tell you why, because practically, here's how this works. When I store away the Word of God in my heart and mind, what happens is, in those times that I need to operate out of that truth, the Spirit of God, here's the word Scripture uses, quickens. And the word quickens simply means makes alive. The Spirit of God makes alive the Word of God in that moment so that I can live out of truth as opposed to living out of my emotions. Now here's the problem. If I don't have the Word of God in stored away in my heart, in my mind, then there's nothing for the Spirit of God to make come alive. Listen, that would be the equivalent of lighting a match, lighting a match, lighting a match, trying to start a campfire, lighting a match, there's no wood in there. There's nothing there to quit. There's nothing there to kindle. There's nothing to make come alive. And so in the context of this passage, he's saying, hey, listen, as the word of, if you have the Word of God, don't, don't be intimidated when someone comes and, and preaches these things. Because in those moments, the Spirit of God illuminates or makes mind, reveals the truth to us in those moments so that we can be discerning instead of being intimidated and swept up in all of that false teaching. So John says, greater is he that is in you. Who's in me? It's the Spirit of God. But it's an active thing. It's not passive. Listen, what he's saying, there's not some Holy Ghost force field. Like against, against error, right? He said, no, no. It is an active process where I'm storing away the Word of God so when the time comes, the Spirit of God can quicken it or make it come to life or illuminate that truth in my mind. That's exactly how it works practically. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Now, I recognize this this morning. That for, for many of you, maybe not all of you, but for many of you, I'm the wisest person you know. Amen? Someone just, just, someone just look, look down like this. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I'm a pastor. I've got some degrees. I've been studying this for a little while. I've been doing this. I, I don't have enough truth stored away for every situation. Right? And so there, there's, there's the ability to even be uh, someone in the ministry being deceived at times. I've seen it several times. Guys who are uh, preaching the truth, they go up on some tangent and hear some other teacher, they just go totally, uh, totally alive. So, so how, do we, how do we handle that? 
Like, like how do I how do I mark someone who, who's not teaching the truth of God's word? How am I discerning if I don't have truth stored away for every single context? Well, here here's reality. Scripture says uh, that there's some identifying marks of true false teachers. Have we all not heard stories of the little old lady living on nothing who gave away every dime she had to some spiritual scam artist on TV? Like, like, how do we guard ourselves spiritually if we don't have enough truth stored for every situation? Well, here's what's interesting. Scripture is not silent on the issue. Scripture gives some markings of someone who is a false teacher or who's teaching uh, deceptively. And this is not a comprehensive list, but I just wrote down a few things here in the text. Uh, in identifying someone who's not teaching the truth and being discerning, uh, one of the things you've got to do is evaluate their following. You've got to evaluate their following. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 5. What's he say? In verse 5, he says, They're of the world, therefore they speak as of the world. And listen to this. And the world hears them. In the original language, that, that, and the world hears them, what he's saying is, they're gaining quite an audience. They're gaining quite an audience. Is what he said. They were growing in number. It was so much to the point where John had to write an address and say, Hey, listen, I know they're mentioning Jesus' name, but don't believe everything you hear. Test the Spirit. They're getting fun. Now, now, let me just say this as well, because I don't want anyone to walk out of here and, and misread this. You cannot judge the orthodoxy, the theology of a church, based on the size of it. There's some large churches faithfully proclaiming the Word of God. There's some small churches who are just proclaiming anything but the Word of God. But one of the marks of a false teacher is they have the ability to draw a large crowd. Now, why is that? It's because they're willing to tell people whatever they hear just to keep them coming so they can maximize their influence. That's exactly what's going on here uh, in this context. When you tell people what you want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear, you will never lack an audience. And so lots of people are coming, and John just says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know they're gaining an audience, but listen, don't believe it. Test the spirits. So evaluate the crowd. Are people generally discerning truth? Or are they just growing because they're telling what they want to hear? Second mark of a false teacher we see here, uh, not in this text, but in the New Testament, is this. Are they motivated by greed? Are they motivated by greed? Peter warned his readers about such false teachers. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. He said, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. One of the characteristics of false teachers is they're constantly exploiting people, playing on people's emotions, twisting the Scripture, whatever it is, in their greed. Not just, I don't name names a whole lot, but can I just tell you this, that the majority of what you see on Christian television is exactly that very thing. And so they're on there sometimes they're saying, listen, oh, if we don't get more donations, we're going to go off the air. I'm praying, good, good, right? It's exactly what, exploiting people, twisting the word, playing on people's emotions in their grief. It's the mark of a false teacher, First Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Motivated by greed, here's the third mark. Scripture says of a false teacher is their lifestyle one of moral integrity. Is what they're living consistent with what they're teaching in a habitual pattern of their life? You say, where do you get that from? Jude said this. He said, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Again, that's how false teachers work. It's not a pitchfork, red suit. Unnoticed. Who long ago were designated this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny Jesus Christ. The word sensuality there in the original language refers to animal instincts. 
animal instinct. You see, an animal that's going to hurt some of you does not have the spirit of God living inside of it. Especially not cats. Amen? And so, since an animal doesn't have the spirit of God living inside of it, it lives without restraint. It just operates on an instinct. That's why a dog will eat itself sick. Because that's his instinct. What he's saying is there is a false teacher lives the same way. They have no restraint in gratifying whatever their flesh desires. Money, sex, materialism, fill in the blank. That's one of the marks of a false teacher. They live without fleshly restraint. Exactly what he says there. Well, this is a little bit of a different message, but we, we teach whatever's in the text, and so I recognize uh, it's a little different. So, so here's what I need to understand. I want to close the service with it in a different morning. And here's why. I want to close the service in a different way this morning, not in a different morning. Uh, I, I don't say this a whole lot. I don't say I feel lad because I think that's using God's name and being passionate, right? But, but, I, but I, tell you, I can tell you with integrity that I have been praying more often. Uh, and, and here's what I've been praying about. I, I don't pray, I don't know if you like this or not, I don't pray for more people to come. Like, I don't pray the church gets bigger. I don't pray for uh, more offerings. I don't, I don't pray. That's not how I've been praying lately. Uh, I don't pray that way very often. Uh, but what I've been praying for lately is continued unity in our church. That, that's what I've been praying for. Because, now listen, I'm biased. I, I totally acknowledge it. But here's what I believe. I think we've got a pretty good thing going here. And where is the church destroyed? It's from the inside. False teachers crept in unnoticed. Second Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. People posing, masquerading as what the text says, as agents of righteousness. And so I know that any time we've got a good thing going, the enemy would love to destroy it. And listen, as much as we're to be salt light in the culture of the church, the challenge, the danger of the church, is that on the culture, it's inside. You can destroy a church faster on the inside than you can with any cultural pursuit you can think of. And so the thing that I've been praying for is unity in our church because when, when what happens is when this unity begins to settle in, it happens when a church starts compromising on the truth of God's Word. People are no longer discerning. They don't even know what to fight for or fight against. And this unity sets in. So here's what I want to do this morning. It's just a little different. Uh, I want to invite those of you who are able, physically able, and more importantly, those of you who feel comfortable that in our time of response today, if you would just come down to the front and feel pray for two things. One, if you just say, Pastor, or Father, uh, keep our church unified. Just pray for church unity. Just start that. That doesn't happen in the church. The second thing I'm asking you to pray for is this that we would never compromise, not even a bit, on the truth of God's Word. That we would always take him in, no matter what culture does, no matter what the attendance is, no matter what English is, listen, that we would never compromise on the truth of God's Word. That we would be discerning enough to preach the Word of God. May the Spirit of God be with us. Alright? So that, that's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, I'll be down at the front. if you've got a personal need this morning, and they just say, I really just want to pray specifically about this. I'll be at the front. I would love to pray with you. If you have a personal need this morning. But I'm going to ask you if you're able to, and if you feel comfortable to, if you just come forward today and say, 
Uh, Pastor, I'm joining you in praying for continued union in our church, and I'm praying that you would always be a truth that proclaims the truthfulness of God's inerrant word. Right? So I'll get us started this morning when you come as you go. Father, we do come this morning recognizing.